All right, welcome back, everybody, to Story Symbol Spirit Podcast about how to make sense of Scripture. My name is John McCambridge, and I am joined, as always... I'm Jackie Mitchell. Jackie, how are we doing today? Good. Feeling great. Another beautiful week in Columbus, Ohio. Horrible. Awful. The worst weather, (laughs) in my opinion. Is this your least favorite season? Yeah, because winter leading up to Christmas is okay. Okay, yeah. And then the three months of winter that come after that are And you always kind of feel like after Christmas, like, winter's almost done. When it's like hardly began. It's like not even really winter. No, I know. Sometimes it's like warm into Thanksgiving. And so by the time you get to Christmas, you have one month of the six month winter that we have. I know. It's so upsetting. Yeah. Yeah. But I do kind of like that we have seasons. I like fall and spring. Yeah. I I know you can't get fall and spring without winter, right? Like you can't. There's no climate where it's like summer and fall and spring. Like if the leaves are going to fall, the snow is going to come. But yeah, but it kind of seems like recently fall is like a week. I know. And And that's my favorite. Fall is my favorite season, and I have, like, one good week of it. And my birthday's in November, and I never have, like, a nice fall birthday. It's, like, uh, well, when's your birthday? winter winds, November 18th. Mm. That's too far into November to have, like, a nice, you're like, early get, fall day. November 18th, you're going to get so many gifts from our millions of listeners. Right. So. Everyone, I'll I'll link my Amazon wish list below. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. We'll, we'll post that in the show notes. Go ahead, yeah. <laughs> All wait. right, so, so we are into the Bible now. So we started mm-hmm. Genesis chapter 1 last week, and last week we went through the first three days of creation. And so today we're going to go through the, the next three days of creation in Genesis chapter 1. Jackie, what was kind of your takeaway from what we talked about last time in the first three days? Yeah, when we talked about the first three days, what I found really interesting, and um, I've been thinking about it since, is that this is like God's first act of hospitality towards mm-hmm. us, that he's like really preparing the place for someone, like it's very clear in the narrative, he's preparing this for something or someone to come, right? So he's like setting this environment, but it's empty right now. Mm -hmm. And so like he's done the work to prepare for what we know is humans. So it's really cool. Yeah, it is. It is. So so I think what we talked about last time was the first three days he prepares. Yep. And so the earth was chaos waters. It's tohu va vohu. Mm -hmm formless and void. And so the first three days, he forms the formlessness. Mm-hmm. And then what we're going to get into today is that he fills that that now formed world, that ordered, beautiful gift of creation with life. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to get to humans on the sixth day, but it also includes, you know, animals and birds and fish and cats. As, as wow. Well, <laughs> we don't know when de- they were. Demon cats. <laughs> we don't know when go. they were created. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so all of that life you know, is going to get put into this place that, like you said, God yeah. has prepared for us. Uh, and so, you know, interesting things that you can take away from from the first three days of creation is, number one, uh, all of all of what we experience mm-hmm. is a gift. Mm-hmm. You know, none of it is necessary. God is sufficient in and of himself. And so what he's created, he's created out of desire and love. You know, it's it's completely gratuitous. Nothing about it needs to happen. And yet he's created it, and mm-hmm. he's not only created it, but he's created it beautifully. Yeah, it's diverse. It's diverse. Yeah. It, it there, you know, there's all kinds of different landscapes and mm-hmm. plant life and mm-hmm. um, an abundance of things for the life that he's going to put in here to have and to eat and to sustain themselves on. And so all of that is, is, is gift. And so, you know, the... I've heard theologians say that the first step towards sin is to forget that, hmm. to forget that this is gift. And so we appro- we tend to approach the world not from the lens of thanksgiving. Yeah, certainly not. Which, according to the scriptures, means that, that we approach it by uh, immediately forsaking 
the 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 heart of what it actually is, mm -hmm. which is a gift, mm -hmm. right? So when we don't see the world like that, and when we don't approach it like that, we immediately alienate ourselves from what it is that we exist in, yeah. Which is this beautiful, gracious gift that 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 God has given us, mm -hmm. and so um, I think I think that that's that's really the theological takeaway from from Genesis one through three. Uh, the other thing, and then we're going to get into this more as we go, but the things that he's created, he has created to point to him. Right. And so we're going to keep talking about that. But, um, you know, the, the the land and the seas and the sky, all of these point to something beyond their givenness. Absolutely. Right? They're symbolic in that way, that they point to something beyond themselves. And so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that today. So, so why, don't we, why don't we get into day four? Sure. And so we'll see where God goes after he's created this beautiful place for yeah. life to live. We'll start at Genesis 1, verse 14. Perfect. And God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them be lights in the vault in the sky to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give the light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, and to separate the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. Awesome. So the fourth day, God puts the stuff in the sky, right? Yeah, I, you kind of assume when you read the first three days that, like, they're just, I don't know. Sometimes I think like, oh, and then all the stars are there too, but like he hasn't created them yet. There's nothing there. Yeah. So he's really interesting. So he's filling it. Yeah. Right. Cause you could think about looking up at the sky that has nothing in it. Well, if you're in Columbus, like we really don't get to see <laughs> stars. <laughs> it is the light pollution. You know, people don't know it's, it's as cloudy as Seattle. Really? Yeah, I didn't know that. Because we're in the jet stream. So we, we just have this like, yeah, so you're right. Because of all the airplanes or? No, no, no. What is jet stream? <laughs> I don't know what jet stream is. We're not going to get into meteorology <laughs> right now, Jackie. But okay, that, my bad. Not airplanes. I thought you just meant because we live near an airport. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Um, so, so you look up in the sky and... You know, we talked about this last time with the seasons, you know, the night and the day. Yeah. And how sometimes like a climate like we tend to live in that's like very cloudy, it messes with our brains yeah. because there's something about us that's supposed to experience that light yeah. and the dark and, and, you know, these rhythms of time. Mm -hmm. And I think the same thing, like one of the reasons it's depressing when we look up into the sky and all we see is this blanket of gray for long periods of time is because the sky is supposed to look like something else. Yeah. Now, not, not, not to say that clouds mean like the brokenness of the world or whatever, yeah. but that there's beautiful things behind those clouds yes. that when those clouds are there, we can't see it. Yeah. And so it's almost like there's a part of the created order that's being shielded from yeah. us, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so God puts the lights in the sky. And so there's, there's stars and there's the sun and there's the moon and what, do, what does he say the purpose of those lights are? Yeah, he says that that is to mark sacred times and mm -hmm. days and years. Yeah, so, so these things have a purpose. Yeah. And the purpose that these things have, and this is going to be a recurring theme through the Christ story, the purpose these things have are the things that we use them for. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> as much as we've advanced in our knowledge of what these things are, we absolutely still... <laughs> govern yeah. our days by the, you know, the rotation of the earth around the sun and, right. and the moon and yep. when that rises and sets and yeah, yep. absolutely. Yep. And our, and our months are, it's a little bit different now, okay but our months are kind of governed by the moon. 
right? Sure. So, so the, the Israelites, you know, the people who, who are writing this, they actually went by a lunar calendar. And right. so they had a different calendar than us. But theirs was, you know, the waxing and the waning of the moon was how they actually set their months. And mm. that was how they knew what day it was. You know, there, there really yeah. weren't written calendars. I mean, there were, but like people don't have access to But not to like writing. in every household. Yeah, it's yeah. Not, I mean, you know, you and I were talking about this morning. You get on your phone and, and that calendar that you have that shows you yeah. your meetings uh, or, or what you have to do that day, what day it is. That, that's like our lifeblood. Like if, if I didn't have that, I would immediately get lost in oh, terms yeah. of what... I woke up yesterday and I thought the whole day it was yeah, you Wednesday. Thought it was Wednesday yesterday. You and I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so when I talk about how our worldview actually kind of alienates us from creation compared to what mm-hmm. people, you know, in the ancient Near East and, and civilizations like that, that's kind of what I mean. Like they yeah. knew what day it was because of what the moon looked like. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. That is crazy. Right? They knew what time it was based on where the sun was in the sky. Oh, yeah. If you pointed the sun out to me right now and I didn't know what time it right. was otherwise, <laughs> right, no right, clue. Right. So, so then, so, so God starts to fill mm-hmm. this creation that he's prepared for us and he begins by filling the sky. So there's the sun, there's the moon and the stars. And when we think of the sun and the stars, we think of balls of gas, right? Right. We've, we've been taught and we have learned that, that the sun is this nuclear furnace that creates, you know, nuclear fusion energy and that's what gives the light and that's what the energy is. And all of that is, is technically true as far as I know. <laughs> I mean, I believe that because yeah. someone told that to me, you know, <laughs> right. I've never, I've never calculated what the sun actually is, but, uh, but, but, but that's true. And so then we look at the Bible and it's easy to think that, that they're, they're being, um, uh, primitive, primitive yeah. you know, archaic because they say that those are lights in the sky, but, they are. They are, yeah. <laughs> in fact, you and I have never experienced the sun as a ball of right. nuclear energy. We experience the sun as a light in the sky. Yeah. It's like we're asking the wrong question mm-hmm. about these things. Not like what are they made of, but what purpose do they serve? So the Bible's answering what purpose do they serve? How did they get here? Right. And we think answering the question, what are they made of, like somehow maybe disproves that they serve a purpose, which is not true. Like they still serve the same purpose regardless of what they're made out of. Right. So, yeah. Right. So like, yeah, so, so, so exactly. And the Bible's describing what it looks like because that's how we experience right. it. And so even like, you know, you and I would say, well, the moon actually doesn't light up. What we see as the moon is a reflection of right. the sun. And that's true. Yeah. But when the moon's really bright, I still say the moon's really bright <laughs> the moon's today. Bright. You know, it's, it's shining. shining. Yeah, right? absolutely. And, and so, so this is a, a good thing to, to just kind of pause and reflect on. Yeah. In my opinion, the Bible's describing these things literally. Right. That's literally what they are. They're lights yeah. in the sky. That's true. Now, we may be able to dig deep into that and see like what we think that actually means, that you know, nuclear fusion is this, this you know, reaction that creates this energy. You know, hydrogen is converted into helium, and there's this like, massive explosion, and the energy from that far away is what lights up this world. And that all may be true, but when you go outside and the sun is shining— you think of the sun as a light that's shining on you. Yeah. Because it is. Yeah. Right? So so the Bible does actually explain these things um, in, in that way, uh, in the way that we actually experience the world. And so it explains them truly, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And so that, but then, you know, like we've been talking about, these things in the sky have a purpose. And the purpose of these things in the sky, maybe most fundamentally, is that they're supposed to point to God. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to reflect His glory. You know, there's something about the sun that's glorious. 
There's something about the moon that's glorious. There's something about a, star, a sky that's filled with stars that's glorious. You know, if you go to the Middle East where they're from and you get a clear night out there at this time with no light pollution from artificial lights, yeah. electricity, it is stunning. It's stunning. It, it captivates us. And one of the reasons it captivates us and that we're enamored by it is because it points to the glory of God, right? Mm -hmm. We go through the Bible and, you know, things start to get compared to the stars. And Matthew 13 says that the righteous will, will shine like the yeah. sun in the kingdom of the Father. Yeah, and we'll see later that this the sun is not only compared to, to God, but like other nations view their, like the sun is so important in this time period that mm -hmm. like the Egyptians view their, you know, Pharaoh as like the sun and the, the sun moon. God. Like this is, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. This is, this is central to how these people viewed the world, not because they didn't know what the sun was made out of, but... Because the sun affected everything they did. Right. So when so when they say that the that the sun is like God. Yeah. Well, well, the sun gives and sustains life. Yeah. In a physical way. Well, that's exactly what we're saying that God does. Mm -hmm. And so again, this is a real, literal description of of what the sun is like. And we will one day shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father because the righteous will reflect the glory of God, like the mm -hmm. sun reflects the glory of God. Yeah. And so you start to see these poetic connections that, that the biblical authors go on to make because what's up there is pointing to something mm -hmm. beyond itself. Mm -hmm. We can have a material explanation for what they are, and that's fine, but the purpose of them fundamentally is that God has put them there to reveal himself, and mm -hmm. so the stars are glorious, the sun is glorious, God is glorious, mm -hmm. and so they point to him, they reflect uh, him to us, right? Mm. They also mark time, like you said, days, in years, and this is how we mark time today. They mark festival seasons. Yeah. All right. So we don't have festival seasons very much anymore. No. But we do have seasons. We have, you know, winter, fall, spring, and summer. Yeah. And those things do, from an agricultural perspective, mark times of growth and, you know, yeah. harvest yeah. and festivals, right? Um, and, and, that's, and that has to do with the lights in the sky. Absolutely. Right? So we would say it has to do with where the earth is in orbit um, around the sun. But nonetheless, the, where yeah. the sun and where we are positioned to it reflects the times. Right. And that's exactly what the, what the Bible says. And so lastly, and we're not really going to get into this today, it says that they're there to govern the sky, hmm. which means that there's some kind of animation behind these things. And this is the spirit aspect of the way that we are talking about the Bible, mm -hmm. um, um, you know, that they rule the sky, which means there's something behind them. And so this, the, the sky, which is the sun and the stars, are somehow representative of God and his angelic host. Mm -hmm. And so the angels and the spirits and the other divine beings that are with God are reflected in, in the sun and in the, in the stars. Now, it's not that these people think that that is God, that the sun is God, right. and that those stars are actual beings, right? That, right. That, may, that may have at times been something that ancient people thought, right. but that's not exactly what is being described here. It's yeah. being described here is that it's representative of that. Yeah. You know, like where, where is God and where is this other realm? Where it's somewhere that we aren't right now. Yeah. And so we can't get up to those things. Yeah. And so that's a good representation of where the heavens are. Do you think that's why people think, even to this day, like we we assume like 
you've gone up to heaven. Like it's it's yeah. somewhere up in somewhere up in space. Exactly. Real high. If we just went high enough, maybe exactly. we'd see it. Kind of like that. That. But it is because of that symbolism that that it points to you know a, an unseen or an otherworldly realm. Right. And so to these people, like when you say God is not here, he's he's you know he's above us and he's you know, in an unseen realm, you look up to the stars and you're like, geez, he must be up there, I guess. Yeah. 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 And and so they would they would symbolically believe, you know, and 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 describe that God and his angelic host is represented in this other realm that's yeah. up there. And in in so many ways that's true. C C.S. Lewis has this thing that he talks about, where he talks about chronological snobbery is what he calls it, because he's British and so he uses words <laughs> like that. Uh, but but what that means is like we think that we're smart and the ancients were stupid. Yeah. And so we're like all oh, these silly people. They think that the stars are are you know angels. Yeah. But that's not exactly true. That's not exactly what they think. They think that there's spiritual powers that are somewhere else that interact with this world. Right. Well, those stars are somewhere else, and we can't touch them, and we can't go to them. Even we can't go to them today. Yeah with all of our technology, and so there's somewhere else, and so they would say that there's powers that you can associate with those things. Yeah. There's angelic powers that you can associate with those things, and when you, if you ever see a shooting star or a meteor shower, they move sometimes. Yeah. Right? Well, living beings move. Yeah. So they're they're alive even in that sense. Yeah. And so they, they describe these things together. Job 38.7 uh, God comes and he starts to grill Job because Job wants God to come and explain why creation is the yeah. way that it is. And and God says, then where were you when I created the world when the morning stars sang together and the angels or the sons of God literally shouted for joy? Yeah. So what he's saying is that there is this realm that when this world was created, there's God and there's these other beings. They were there for that. Yeah. They they praised God when he when he created us. Um, and, and they liken those things to stars because stars represent them for, for, for all of the reasons that, that we talked about before. And so the sky, the heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm mm -hmm. 19. And so what, we should never walk outside and be like, oh yeah, there's stars in the sky. Of course there's stars in the sky. That's just how it is. The Bible says that that's a miracle, yeah. And that that's beautiful, and that that points to a spiritual reality and a reality of truth that's deeper than you and I could possibly imagine. Yeah. And so the 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 night sky is sacramental, and it's useful. Absolutely. Because of time, and because of rhythms, and because of seasons, and because yeah. of festivals, and because of harvests, and because of you know they might not be able to describe in scientific terms photosynthesis. But they know that that sun sure, gives yeah. life to that plant, and if that sun goes away for too long, that plant's not going to grow. Right. And so, you know, it is practical, it is physical, it is material, and it's also spiritual, and it also is symbolic, and it also points beyond itself. Mm -hmm. And so, this is the beginning of God filling this empty but beautiful prepared this space, organized now space with life. Yeah. And so. Um, and so we, we go on to day we go five. go on to day five. Yeah. Verse 20. And God said, let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. 
And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. The fifth day. So now we start to get what you and I would call like organic carbon-based life form. Yeah. Creatures. Yeah. And so God begins by filling the sky with birds. Mm-hmm. And so birds become very symbolic in the Bible. Yes. Uh, birds come to be to symbolize the spiritual world mm. because they're flying up in the face of something that we can't go to. Mm-hmm. And we can't fly. Right. And so the birds are up there and they're, and they're, and they're flying around. Right. And so when you think of like how a spirit would move in this world, like the wind or like the like breath, it's kind of like how birds move. Yeah. And so you start to see that birds become symbolic of of spirit of the spiritual realm, good spirits and bad spirits. So when Jesus gets baptized, the Holy Spirit comes upon him in what? As a dove. As a dove. Yeah. Right? When uh when the flood subsides, Noah sends out what? A dove. A dove to go find yeah. the good land, to go somewhere that we can't go, yeah. to go to go do something that we as humans yeah. who walk and run and can kind of swim can't do, can't fly. Yeah. And so um, there's good spirits, like the Holy Spirit is represented as a dove, but there's also like bad spirits, you know, the vultures who feed mm-hmm. on the dead. Well, what we're going to see in Genesis 3 is that the dead is the realm of Satan and his angels, yeah. his fallen angels. And so the birds, because of where they are and what they do, are, are representative, are yeah. symbols that point to the, the actual real reality yeah. of, of the, uh, the, the spiritual world. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and so um, the sky is filled with birds, yeah. and, bo- and birds point to something. And what a gift, because it's so hard to understand a realm that you can't see unless there's a metaphor for something that it's like. Exactly. That's how we describe everything that is like conceptual to us in, in science that we don't understand. We have to describe it in terms that we can see and understand. Right. And so, you know, we're, we're given these things, you know, to point to something, not just because it, you know, points to it, but also because without it, it would be so much harder to understand, you know, how exactly. this unseen realm works because it's exactly that. It's unseen. And we, like you said, we describe everything in metaphor. Yeah. So like if you, if you, you and I learned about atoms mm-hmm. in science class and they drew circles. Yeah. And they drew like the nucleus yeah. and then they, well, that's not what an atom actually looks like. Right. Right. Those are representative pictures or metaphors. Right. Of an, so even in science, we describe Absolutely. things metaphorically because we don't know how else to describe the world. Right. And we're describing I, things we can't see. So we're using things that we can see. Exactly. And that's so, exactly what the Bible's doing here. And I would say that that's the way that God's created the world. Yeah. So we use metaphors and they're effective, not because we have something that's like we're just not like smart enough to yeah. understand things. It's because we've been created to be metaphorical beings. Yeah. And yeah. so we represent where we understand things through representation, yeah. pictures, icons, mm-hmm. images, um, uh, uh, analogies that point to something beyond ourselves. And so then God fills the seas with fish and monsters. Yeah. Right? And I interpret this literally. The great creatures of the sea? Yeah, because I watched Shark Week. Are you? Oh, I was going <laughs> to say, I thought you meant the Loch Ness Monster. Maybe you were a believer. I mean, you know. You could be. Look, I haven't ruled it out. But a shark is a monster. Oh, yeah, for sure. And when you look at like some of like the prehistoric stuff, like megalodons, like don't even get me started on megalodons. It's like okay? a shark, but like 10 times it's bigger. It's just like a giant shark. <laughs> it's so scary. You know, it's terrifying. Yeah. Um, uh, have you ever seen the videos of like whales breaching the water like yes. next to a boat? It's like 
their their sheer size would destroy you. Oh yeah. And so that is a monster. Absolutely. And when I was a kid, I would always uh when we do school projects on like animals, I'd always choose one of those crazy fish that live so deep. Ew, those freak me dark. out. I don't like and those. And so they they're like luminescent. Oh, I hated those. And so they have big teeth and they light up and one of them's called like a viper fish. Yeah. And I used to I did like five projects when I was a kid on viper fish. Ew. But that's a, that thing's a monster. I know. I don't really swim in the ocean. Right. I, like, if I never saw the beach again, I'd be fine. It's not because I can't swim. Okay. Oh it's yeah, because, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's because no, can't swim, but I'm I can out. swim. I can swim. But it's because there's stuff in there. There's not just fun little angelfish. Right. There's things that we would a hundred percent describe as a monster and so and, I, I want nothing to do with it and some of it's beautiful yeah and some of it's dangerous yeah and so the the seas that god has created here they are ordered to a degree but for the beings like us that he puts on this earth those seas still represent a form of chaos sure because they're in their own ecosystem you, they, they're, there. you know that's not ours our yeah. ecosystem so of course it would be dangerous and scary to us right you, you your boat capsizes if no one rescues you're yeah. gonna die because you can't swim you can't live in the ocean just like if you brought a fish out of water i'm sure he'd think you know a fish could yeah. think yeah chaos. this monster is <laughs> attacking me, me taking me out of the water yeah <laughs> yeah and so so the oceans are foreign to us we can't really live in it we don't know what's down there you might encounter some creatures who seem to be able and willing to destroy you and eat uh -huh. you. And, and I don't like uh, it. if there's a storm when you're on sea, you're out of luck. Yeah, you're done. You know, like we've created boats that can withstand certain kinds of storms, but not certain kinds of storms. You can't just f like take a yacht into a hurricane. Right. You know, and, and so there's, there's, this represent, there's this representation of chaos in the seas, mm -hmm. the monsters that are there the depth of it, the unknown nature of it. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we'll see as we go on is that the sea, the ocean, also comes to be symbolic of the Gentiles mm. or the pagans. So God's people have God, and so they live in this ordered space as it's supposed to be following God's law. But then you go to Babylon, and they're worshiping false gods, they're sacrificing children. Yeah. They're doing these, you know, they're violent. They're doing these things that are not representative of God. And so the the Gentile world, the world that is not under the specific reign of God at that time yeah. in terms of worship comes to be represented by the ocean because the ocean's like that. Yeah. It's, something's not right about it. It's not where we're supposed to be if we try yeah. to live there. It's not how we're supposed to live. It's chaotic. It's all of those things. And so that's why you see things like the disciples are fishermen. Yeah. Who do they end up going after? Yeah. Gentiles. Yeah. Right? No, uh, Jonah gets swallowed by a large fish in the hostile seas as he goes to preach mm -hmm. to the Ninevites, who are Gentiles. Yeah. Um, Paul takes the gospel to the nations, and at the end of his life, he does it via ship. Yeah. He's shipwrecked. that's where they yeah. are. And so uh, you start to see this kind of symbolism. Yeah. Um, and, and this is all post-fall. Right. right, so it changes yeah. the the aspect of it, but even you know, but even in 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 um, the oceans in God's original design, He says that it's good. Yeah, it's good that there's an ocean, even with the big creatures. It's good that there's fish and there's yeah. monsters in there, right? Um, and so there was morning and there was evening, the fifth day. It was good. All right, so so mm -hmm. so day six. This is this is where we start to get to the to the pinnacle of the story. Yeah, and God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. 
God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. That's good for now. We'll stop there before we get to humans. So he creates what you and I would consider to be domesticated animals? Yeah. Cattle, The animals that we really interact with. The animals that that exist within our camp. Yeah. Right? This is in our home base. In our our home base that we can control mm-hmm. that are useful to us mm-hmm. for, for work, plowing, farming, mm-hmm. for food, mm-hmm. eating. Um, and, uh, and, and, and then he also creates, you know, wild animals, mm-hmm. which are not the same to us as domestic animals. Right. You don't get nervous when you come across a cow, but you get nervous when you come across a leopard. Right. Yeah. Or a wolf. Right. You don't get nervous when you come across a dog that's been domesticated. Right. But you get nervous when you come across a wolf, right? Because that thing is wild. It's different. It's outside of your camp. Yeah. And then there are the things that we tend to think of as being particularly, um, you know, outside of our experience or, or mm-hmm. outside of like what we would consider to be good. The things that crawl along the ground. Sure, bugs, snakes, snakes bugs. You Ugh. know, most people are scared of snakes. Yeah. Now you can, you know, sort of like uh, become like a snake person. But everyone thinks you're weird. Like yeah. if you have, if you're one of the people who likes snakes, like people think that that's an odd thing to like. Yeah. Because by and large, we're naturally kind of push ourselves away from animals like that. Oh yeah. You know, um, our friend told us a couple weeks ago that snakes lack the part of their brain that lets them, like they they don't have that part of the brain that it you know feels and gives out love. Yeah. And so yeah, people, well. <laughs> snake owners say something like, you know, my, my snake loves me. And it's yeah. like, well, he likes you and you're feeding him, but. <laughs> right, right, right. And, and, you know, okay, so, so again, this is where the Bible is being literal. Yeah. There are animals that you and I can form relationships with. Yes, yeah. Domesticated animals. Yeah. You know, people who have horses, they have relationships yeah. with those horses. You know, even, even on like a real farm where animals are being slaughtered to eat, there's still this relationship where like yeah. that animal, while it's with you, you have some kind of relationship with it. You see this with dogs, to uh, domesticated dogs. You see this to some degree with domesticated cats. I have a relationship with our cat. You do. I just, it's a, you do. an enemy one. <laughs> and, there, and there's an interaction there. Yeah, there's absolutely. Not, there's not with snakes. Yeah, no. And there's not with a wolf. Right. Right? Right. And so this becomes not only true of our experience, but it becomes symbolic. And when we get to the yeah. sacrificial system... What you're going to see is that the domesticated animals are the ones that can be sacrificed. Mm. Uh, even birds. Yeah. You can have a relationship with a parrot. Yeah. Or a dove. Yeah. Right? People keep birds. That's yeah. not an odd thing to do. Yeah. Because you can have a relationship. Uh, cattle, you know, uh, sheep, yeah. goats. Th- th- these kinds of animals become the kinds of animals that can be sacrificed to God. There are mm. animals that don't necessarily make you unclean but you're not allowed to eat them. Yeah. The wild animals. Yeah. And then there are animals that you don't even bring within a distance of the tabernacle or the temple. And these are the ones that, that crawl and along the ground. Yeah. Slither oh, and creep. Got chills. That's what, like. what the Bible says. <laughs> yeah. Sense. Yeah. So, um, so, so this, that this is what we mean when we say that the creation story sets the symbolic nature of the rest of yes. the Bible. Yeah. It's not random that, that these kinds of animals are what you can give to God mm-hmm. and these kinds of animals you can't. And then, you know, it's like these concentric circles of yeah. going outside of 
the the animals that we can have relationships with that we can uh, live with yeah and, and and that we can kind of live our, live our lives around and so we'll, we'll get to this when when we get to to uh, Genesis 3 but a lot of the clean and the unclean comes from this hmm. comes from these kinds of animals you're not you know the the Israelites are not supposed to eat shellfish well you can't have a relationship with shellfish yeah you can't you, you're not gonna you don't have a relationship with an oyster <laughs> like you would be put like in, yeah. you know you would be like institutionalized yeah if 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 you thought that that you could Who's my pet oyster yeah my pet oyster my, like a lobster <laughs> you know like those aren't that those aren't yeah. the kinds of animals that we live yeah. with that we that that we can have relationships with and so you know those become the unclean animals not only can you not sacrifice them to God but but you can't you you're shouldn't. not even allowed to eat them yeah in, in, in what we'll see in the law um and so all of these animals are related to mankind in a way. And so we're about to be created. Yeah. And we have a relationship to these animals. And to some degree, the way, in the same way that we image God, these animals image us, mm-hmm. either well or not well. Yeah. Right? And so... And we'll see this a lot in the Psalms. A lot of adversaries are described as animals, mm. you know, Vultures, dogs, wolves, lions waiting. Yep. To devour you. Yeah. Wild animals. Yeah. And then the devil himself gets equated with a snake. Yeah. And so uh, when you talk about that, those concentric circles of clean and unclean, you start to see that. But but that's why it's grouped in that that way, right here in Genesis 1. The animals are grouped like that. There's there's livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, there's the wild animals, and then there's the ones that that that's that slither and that that creep. And so, you know, already we start to see these categories right here in Genesis yeah. 1. It's pretty cool. It's amazing. Okay. Um, so now the the sky is filled with lights and birds, the sea is filled with fish and monsters, and the land is filled with domesticated animals, yeah. wild animals and creeping crawling animals. Right? And so the tohu has been ordered, the chaos and the disorder, and prepared for life. And then the vohu, the emptiness, has been filled, formless and void. Right. It's been formed, and now it's been filled with life, and God sees that all of that is good, which then brings us to the climax of his creation story. Yeah. And that's at the end of day six. And so let's, let's go ahead and read that. Yeah. Verse 26. Yep. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. That's good there. And so... God says, let us create mankind. Yeah. Right. And so there's a ancient, long-standing controversy in biblical studies about what that means. Because yeah. he says, let us. And the whole time that we've been reading, he's been saying, let there be. Right. Yeah. He's not addressing yeah. someone else. Yeah. Right. And and so the the question is whether this is specifically referring to God talking to the other persons of the Trinity. Right. If this is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit engaging with each other, uh, or whether God is speaking to some kind of what I'll call a divine council. Yeah. Other 
created spiritual beings. Right. Right. And so uh, th- this is going to take an entire episode to explain. Yeah. And to talk about and to work through. So so I think we're gonna we're gonna do that next time. But in terms of the spirit aspect of our podcast, this is really important uh, because both things are happening. Yeah. Um, there's a, 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 a Spanish phrase that, uh, por qué no los dos? So why not both? Yeah. Why not both? And what you'll see, uh, there's a, have you ever, have you done improv? No. Have you ever done, so Dan Carr on our staff is an <laughs> acting major and he's, he's made us do this improv game called Yes And. Yeah. Have you ever seen people do that? Yeah. So in improv, you can't, you can't stop the improv game by like saying something that has finality to it. Right. And so you have to keep, it going. keep it going. And so whatever somebody else says, no matter how ridiculous, the mindset you have to have is to say yes and. Yeah, and, and there's more. Yeah, to what they said, <laughs> yeah. even if it's like crazy and yeah. hard to. And and so people who are good at improv are really good at that. And that's actually kind of the way that I look at the Bible. Yeah. That most of the Bible and the controversies that we see have to be framed and nuanced for sure, so that we get a correct understanding. But it tends to be yes and. Yeah. It, it's both. Right, because when you think of uh, uh, who God is from a Christian perspective, He is Trinity. Yes, yeah. And so everything that's happened so far is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Right. So whether or not the us in this is referring to the Trinity, it does not deny the existence of the Trinity. Certainly not. The yeah. Trinity is there. Yeah. It has been there. It's already mentioned. It's already been mentioned. Yeah. The Spirit's hovering over the waters. Yeah. John chapter 1 is going to say that the Word of God, that is Christ, that is Jesus, yeah. the pre-incarnate Son, is the one through whom the Father created. Then right. the Spirit hovers over the waters and perfects everything. And so it's a Trinitarian creation story. Yeah. Whether this let us is about the Trinity or not has nothing to do with the reality of the Trinity. Right. The Trinity is affirmed in the Scriptures. Right. And it's already been affirmed in the creation story. And so what I would say is that it seems like God is in a conversation with his hosts. Hmm. So we'll talk about this next time, but throughout the Bible, I think it's like 235 times, he's called the Lord of hosts. Yeah. So who are the hosts? Yeah. Well, it's a military term. It's like troops, which means that there's other beings that God is in conversation with, right? Yeah. And so uh, he... he you know, my, my, uh, my thought and what we'll, we'll really go through next time is that uh, at key points in the Bible, we see God in conversation with his, with his counsel. Mm-hmm. That's how the book of Job opens. Mm-hmm. This is how King Ahab, the most evil king in Israel, is taken down yeah. by a decision that God makes with his host. We're, we're, we're brought into that conversation yeah. in, uh, in, in second Kings. And so, um, that 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 to me is the explanation for this let us yeah. this change in language. But we will get we're going to get into that next time because Much more. because we yeah. need we need if that's going to be the the way that we kind of move through the Bible, understand yeah. it that way, we have to have a good picture of what it means for there to be other beings that are created right. by God. And again, the, this you know the story aspect, the symbolic aspect of the Bible, we can pretty much agree all mm-hmm. the time. But I will say it's much harder when you're not seeped in this to yeah. understand the spiritual realm. And so we'll take some more time on that. Yeah, we'll take, we'll take time on that for sure. And so uh, th- that's like we have to address that mm-hmm. because it's a point of tension in biblical studies. Yeah. What, who is this us? But the emphasis of the poem is on the creation of mankind. Yeah. And uh, the emphasis is that we're images. That's why there's kind of that weird thing where, you know, in, 
God said, let us make mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female. He created them, and he blessed them. And so let us make mankind in our image and our likeness. And so then God made... And so it's like keeps repeating this thing about yes. them being images, yeah. right? And so the emphasis is on the image aspect of what it means to be a human. And mm-hmm. that word in Hebrew is selim. And so uh, in Exodus, when God gives the Ten Commandments, he says that you shall not worship graven... Images. Images. Yes. It's the same word. Yeah. And so idol worship is selim worship. So an idol, which is a representation of God, yeah, is the same word that is used to describe human beings. Mm-hmm. Almost everywhere else in the Old Testament, you're going to see that word as referring to an idol. And so you have to see like this incredible symbolism here, right? God tells us that we're not allowed to worship images of him to carve his image yeah. into stone yeah. or wood and then worship it. And one of the reasons that we're not supposed to do that is because we are his images. Yeah. That is not his image. Right. Whatever you carve, that's not an image of God. You are an image of God. Right. We are images of God. And in all of our complexity and intelligence and um, you know complicated nature of how we're yeah. put together and how we think and all the capacities that we have is the only thing that's worthy of being called an image of God. Mm. What the prophets are going to say is they're going to say you you other you know you other uh, uh, people you carve this stone and then you have to make it right. and then you have to right. put it in the temple and then you have to feed it yeah. and if it falls over you have to pick it up. Yes. Well, that's a different story than what's being taught to us in Genesis, which is that you and I, conscious, thinking, rational, gifted beings, we are the true images of God, right? the only true images of God. And and even we are just pictures of Him, representations of that God. Um, But that's why a carved piece of wood is an inappropriate thing. Yeah. To say is an image of Yahweh. Yeah. No, it's not. You are. Yeah, it's a mockery of it. It's a mockery of it. Yeah. Yeah, because you are something so much more than than that carved image. Yeah. And so you in flesh and blood, living, breathing images of of God. And so it kind of raises the question, you know, of what is an idol? What is a selim? In ancient worship, what was that idol supposed to be? What was it supposed to represent? An unseen God, right? An unseen God. Because, you know, again, with our chronological snobbery, yeah. we we tend to think about those worship practices, and we tend to say, these ancient people are stupid. They thought that that thing they carved was a God. Right. Like, that's so silly of them. Uh, but that's not what they believed. Right. They would make the holy space, and then they would carve an image... They would put that image in the holy space, and then the glory of God, the God that they worship, would become localized in that image. Right. Because like you and I are talking about, it's hard to conceptualize the unseen. Right. So you make something that's seen, and then they would have the ceremony where they would open the mouth or the nostrils of that carved image, and then the glory of God would come into it. Mm-hmm. And so they're worshiping their God through that image. Right. It's not... The materialistic understanding where they think that that stone is God. Right. No, they think that the glory of God is localized. Right. The presence of God is localized in that. And so they create the holy spaces and they put that there. And now the presence of God is in that image. And so here, days one through three, 
God has created a holy space. Mm-hmm. His space, his temple is creation. And the last thing that he does is he places the image in the temple, mm-hmm. which is us. And so it's the same idea of the ancient worship of the rest of the world. It's just that instead of it being a piece of wood, it's a flesh and blood right. human being that is, that is the real image. And so what that means for who we are is it means that we are beings who in our created nature are supposed to localize the glory of God. Yeah. We are supposed to be the glory of God yeah. manifest in this world mm-hmm. because we are his images. An image is the localized presence and glory of God. It's mm-hmm. within the image. Mm-hmm. And so we now are supposed to walk around being that. Um, the two words that in Hebrew that the Old Testament uses to describe glory, one of them is Shekinah. So have you ever heard of the Shekinah glory of God dwells in, yes. the, you know, in the Holy yeah. of Holies in the, in the temple and tabernacle? And that is kind of representative of light. Mm-hmm. So when Jesus stands on a mountain... And he looks at his followers. Yes. And he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither should a lamp be put underneath a basket. You put that lamp out in the room and it shines light into the rest of the the, the room and it lights it up. Uh, And so you go and do likewise, you know, be the the glory Mm -hmm. of God so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light shine. And so that is not a theology that Jesus has made up. Right. That's Genesis chapter one right. stuff. Yeah. That we are the localized Shekinah glory of God, the localized light of God that, that shines out and, and that, that into the world. Moses comes face to face with God. Yes. And then what happens? He's glowing. His face glows. They can't look at him, the Israelites. They can't even look at him. When Jesus goes up on the mountain yes. for, and yeah. he's transfigured, how is he described? He's glowing. He's glowing. Yeah. He's shining. Yeah. Because the glory of God, right? And so so you and I in our lives and, and in Christ with the spirit within us are supposed to be shiny. Yeah. Like our life is supposed to radiate the Shekinah glory of God. Uh, and it's not it's not something that was made up. Yeah. With Jesus. It's Genesis chapter one. You were created to do so. If you are not radiating the glory of God out of you, you are not living as you were created to right. be. Right. This isn't just fulfilled in the New Testament. This is really the call to the Israelites later down the line to be set apart, to be different, and exactly. to point to the nations. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so um, the images of God have a task, and he tells them to be fruitful, and he tells them to multiply. He tells them to fill the earth. He tells yep. them to subdue it. He tells them to rule and to reign over all of the other creatures and to have access to all of the other food. And so this is the holy space. Yeah. The garden in Eden is the holy of holies. It's the place where God's presence dwells uh, with his creation. And so the task of being fruitful and multiplied is to take that reality and then cover the globe with it. Mm-hmm. Take that garden called Eden and spread it across the face of God's creation. Yeah rule and reign, uh, to, to be human is to be uh, nobility. Right. You know, we're the delegated authorities on this earth. And so God has just subdued and cultivated and pulled out of the, the raw materials of the world, order and beauty and goodness and life. And since we are his images, we're supposed to do likewise. Right. He's given the same commandment, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth. That's given to the animals mm-hmm. and to us. 
but he adds something. He adds subdue it, rule over it. So although we are supposed to multiply and fill the earth just like the animals, we've got a very different task ahead of us. Yeah. Because we are images. Right. And so you think, I mean, think about like the most important question of your life. What is your purpose? Yeah. Okay. Well, well, God took dominion over the, the chaos and the darkness. Mm-hmm. He subdued it, and then he filled it with life. And so what are humans supposed to do? Yeah, subdue the earth. We're supposed to take dominion cultivate over it. this creation yeah. and cultivate it and pull from it more goodness, more beauty, more yeah, light. Yeah, steward it well. More life. Yeah. Steward it well. Yeah, we tend to think of ruling or subduing as like a tyranny. Mm-hmm. That was not the call. It was to... To, to cultivate it well, to, if, if we're given something as right. a stewardship, you know, God expects us to take good care of it. So this is, you know, a call to exactly keep the order that he's created. He's just ordered the earth and now he's giving us the task to, yeah. to follow up on that. Because he showed us how to do yeah. it. Yeah. He just did it. So he, he right. ordered, he, he, he had dominion. Yeah. He showed what dominion looks like. He yeah. showed what, what stewardship looks like. So he commands us not to have not to have dominion in some strange philosophical, you know, guess that we make of yeah. what dominion means. Like God was not exploiting the world yeah. and, you know, ruling it with an iron fist. He was cultivating yeah. it. Yeah. And so the task to us is to image him. So Michael Heiser, who's very influential in 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 my in my life in terms of uh, theology. Uh, says that he actually thinks that a better way for us to describe image of God is imager of God. Hmm. We're supposed to be images. We are images. We're supposed to be imagers. Hmm. He's shown us what to do. That's what we're supposed yeah. to do. And that's what it means to be a human. You know, the, the, most, the thing that most, you know, people struggle with in this world today is identity. Absolutely. Who am I? And some of the crazy philosophy that are coming about in our zeitgeist, in our popular culture, is just people grasping at trying to have identity. Absolutely. They want to be something. They want to be known as something. They, they want to define their life yeah. uh, in, in terms of identity. And uh, th- that's not a bad desire. Yeah. It's just that, you know, we tend to go about it wrong yeah. because we've already been told what we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be images of God. Right. You know, it, it, we're not supposed to be whatever we want to be or whatever we think we want to be. We're yeah. supposed to be images, and that is exactly what it means to be a human. And to be an image of God is to recapitulate what God has done. Yeah. And we just saw that. And so we have to really, like, take this story and allow it to reorder what we think it means to be a human from, from the very foundations. Because mm-hmm. um, according to this story, to be a human is to be a symbol. Yeah. You know, a symbol that points to God, which means that in that way, the entire life of a human being is symbolic. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, um, quite frankly, and this is going to sound like blasphemy to people's ears, um, humans do not have meaning in and of themselves. Mm. We have meaning as it pertains to God. Absolutely. Our yeah. meaning is entirely caught up in God. Yeah. And so we are reflections of that. We are creative recapitulations of yeah. that. But we are not meaningful in and of ourselves. Yeah. Our meaning is entirely caught up in the fact that we are images of God yeah. and we are imagers of God. And so that is your purpose. 
You know, the meaning of your life is not intrinsic within you. The meaning of your life is to image God in unique ways because he's created us diversely Mm -hmm. and beautifully and he's scattered the gifts of the spirit across us. Yeah. So no one life is going to image God the same way. But however you are to image God, that is the meaning of your life. Absolutely. It's not something that you find deep in your heart and deep in your soul that you get to create and define for yourself. Yeah. Um, that, you know, the, it, it is to to image him, and there is no meaning that's found outside of that, which yeah. is the opposite of what most of us believe. It's the opposite of what your children are being taught in school, and the result is that we find ourselves in the middle of a profound meaning crisis. Yeah, what what a relief off of our shoulders to hear that maybe we don't have to figure out what our purpose is. I think somehow we thought that that would be freeing to just define our purpose. Yeah. But I actually Absolutely. think it's horrible for us. It it creates this crisis of identity that was never necessary because we're told who we are. Exactly. And so Paul's going to talk about the principalities and the powers as being demonic spiritual influences in our life. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis says that, you know, uh, the, the demon that's schooling the junior demon says that people think that as demons we offer you this beautiful free exhilarating life and then the consequence is that maybe at the end of that beautiful free exhilarating life you get damned to hell right but but the demon says that is not the joy of being a demon the joy is to have your soul and give you nothing yeah and so you see this in the way that we teach people how to find identity that we claim that we're giving them liberty. We're giving them the freedom to be whoever they want to be, and yet the result of that is completely empty. The result of that is a complete lack of meaning, lack of purpose. It's a crisis in our world. Our young people do not know what they're supposed to be or what the meaning of their life is. And as they grind and try to manufacture this meaning and this identity, it destroys them, which is exactly what the Bible says, that these... These other these forces that are opposed to God, they're going to take you, and they're going to promise you the world, and they're going to destroy you instead. Right. They're going to give you the opposite, and so it's really important for Christians to understand that that because we were not me- created to have meaning in and of ourselves, um, our meaning is only to be found in God. Yeah. And by imaging God correctly, and this has all been opened up for us, you know, in light of sin because of Christ. Mm-hmm. And as long as we seek any other way, we'll find ourselves empty and aimless. Right. Searching, scratching, clawing for some kind of meaning that will eventually let us down. But according to scriptures, it's really like a a problem of being. When we seek meaning in our modern way, we go against how we were created. We go against our nature. We go against what it means to be human. And so it cannot and it will not work. Yeah. You and I are images of God more meaning than we could possibly imagine is within us because of our connection to God. Yeah. And so your life, if you're a teacher, if you work in ministry, if you work in finance, if you work in um, construction, Mm -hmm. no matter what you do, because of your connection to God, you have the ability in your life, in your family, at your job, in your your day-to-day to image him and therefore to yeah. fill your life with meaning and purpose. Certainly there's work to be done wherever we are there's, because there's disorder everywhere. And so God's call done. is for us to order that again. Mm-hmm. And so there's no need for, you know, a change in career. Let's all, you know, become 
full-time ministers. That's Yeah, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over it. And so you've got a unique position wherever you are. And you have... uh, you have things in front of you that you can be faithful to. Absolutely. And the small things that you're faithful to can change the world. Yeah. Right? Um, and that's that's because you're an image. Yeah. So this is an ontological statement about who you are. Yeah. And it's beautiful. You know, it's it means that your life is filled with more meaning than you could ever manufacture for yourself. And that by being faithful to the things that are right there in front of you, that you actually have the ability to affect that you are fulfilling in that faithfulness your entire created purpose. And so to read to your kids before bed and to put them to bed and to keep them safe and to mm-hmm. feed them, you know, as a mother or a father, this is image of God stuff. Yeah. We're not waiting for our big break where we become famous. And yeah. we can, you know what I mean? Like, right. like the, the pressure that we tend to put on ourselves because of our modern understanding of identity, that can all go away. There may be great things that God puts in front of you, and you should pursue that. But there's also the small everyday tasks of ruling and subduing yeah. in His name, in His character, that fulfills who you are. Absolutely. And what you were created to be. And so anyone, anywhere, at any time can have a life that is full of meaning. Yeah. Life to the full. And we do that by gratitude. We talked about that earlier. Mm -hmm. If we don't get that this is a gift, not only creation in and of itself, but what we've been stewarded, Mm -hmm. what we've been given to rule over, if we don't get that that's a gift, we won't rule over it well. We won't be grateful. We won't find meaning and purpose. Exactly. Um, So when we get to the fall... We're going to see that when humans go against their created purpose, the world falls apart. Yeah. And we're going to look at that and we're going to think that is dramatic. Yeah. Like that seems like a crazy thing. Like all of a sudden human, like sin comes into the world. So now everything's ruined. Like what the heck? But that's because we don't take seriously what it means to be an image of God. Right. Right. We have the ability to take this world and to change it. And if we do that on God's behalf, we fulfill who we are and the world becomes better. If we yeah. rebel, we still have that power. Right. And instead of forming the world into something good, we can deform it yeah. into something bad. And so uh, God has set up this world for his images to run it. Mm-hmm. And you can quibble with that, and you can say he shouldn't have done that, but the yeah. Bible's not concerned with that argument. It yeah. says that that's what he did, and that's who we are. That's our responsibility. Yeah. And so we're either going to take this thing and make it great, or it's going to fall apart in our hands. Yeah. And that's because of, uh, because there is so much meaning and purpose in in us. Yeah, that that's the kind of beings that we are, and so this is almost every time we teach at this church, we talk about Genesis one and two. Yeah, and that's because if you do not understand what you are as an image of God, then you will not only not only we not understand the story of the Bible. Yeah, and how this thing spins out of control, but you won't understand your life. The Christian life won't make sense. Christian life won't make sense. The idea that the most important thing for you to do today is to take the small and mundane things in your life yeah. and be faithful to God in them is yeah. not going to make sense to yeah. you. You're going to be you're going to have wanderlust about where your life is supposed to go and mm-hmm. what you're supposed to become and mm-hmm. that there's not enough meaning and there's not enough greatness in your life, but but that's not the story of the Bible. Yeah. And if you don't understand that, it's going to be really hard for you to understand anything else that, that we talk about from here. Absolutely. And so uh, let's, uh, let's go on 20, 29 through 31. Yeah. 
Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. That's good. And so God gifts this created world to the life. Yeah. So God gifts days one through three to day to what he days to the four life, through six. Days four through yeah. six. It's a beautiful like pattern of yeah. of the created order. Yeah. Right? That this is our world, us and the animals to enjoy. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to have and to hold and to steward. Um, and humanity is at the head of that stewardship. Yeah. And so, uh, as we'll see, uh, you, you're going to read the story, and because of what happens, you're going to ask, like, why did God do that? Why did he allow humans to have that kind of power? And the only answer we can give is because he wanted to. Yeah. It was his pleasure to do so. This is the world that he wants. The end of the passage, he says it's very good. It's yeah. the first time he says it's very good. Everything he does, days one through six, he says it's good. Then he creates humans... Then he gives the gift of creation to us to steward. Then he says it's very good. Yeah. And so it goes from good to better because this is the world that God wants wants to have Mm -hmm. with us participating in him and with him in the stewardship of creation. And so as long as that doesn't happen, the world is going to be bad. Yeah. And so, you know, there's all these questions of evil that we have. Why does God allow evil in the world? Well, because he put you in charge of it and you're evil, (laughs) right? Yeah. I mean, even Jesus says this when he talks about, you know, which one of you, if if your son asked for bread, would give him a snake, right? Right, or whatever, or a rock. Yeah. And he says, and and you know how to give good gifts and you're evil. Yeah. That's what he says to the people he's talking to, right? And so the Bible is not shy about the fact that, that, what we're going to see in Genesis chapter three yeah. has led us to the point where we don't do this thing that God has right. put in front of us the way that it was meant to be. Yeah. And therefore, instead of the world being very good in all of its essence, we have all of this brokenness. Right. The image of God still shines through. And so there is beauty mm-hmm. in this world. There is goodness. There is love, but it's tainted by all this other stuff, this evil, yeah. this deformed things that we create and, and that we do because we have the power to do that. Right. 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 And we have the power to do that because that's what God wants. Yeah. Because he would do a much better job, I think, of stewarding a lot of this than we might. Right. But he's chosen to partner with us. So think about redemptive history. Yeah. He always goes through humans. Yeah. So as soon as there, so there's the fall in Genesis chapter three, and then technically there's the fall when Cain kills Abel, Mm -hmm. which we'll talk about. And then technically there's another fall at Babylon, the Tower of Babel. And it is immediately after that that God sets about his restoration plan. And the way that he does it is he calls a man. Yes. And so we look at that and we're like, God's all powerful. Why doesn't he just snap his fingers? Right. And the answer is because he doesn't want to. Yeah, and he put us in charge of the earth in the first place. So so redemption has yeah. to come from a human too. Right. So why did God have to become human, flesh and blood in yeah. Jesus, to restore everything? Because yeah. that's the way the world was created. 
humans are the images. Right. We have the task. So he's not just going to snap his fingers. Even in the climax of redemption, he becomes a human and walks amongst us. Yeah. Because that's that's the way that, that all of this was created from the very beginning. Page one. Yeah. Right? Now, I call them... Pa- I, I take this after Tim Mackey. I call them pages based on chapters because the like the chapters were in a scroll, you know. Yeah. So yeah. So this is the first page of the Bible. Page all one. The, all that we just went through. All this talk of what this world is, what we are, what it means to be a human, uh, the importance of us, the task of us, uh, the the glory of God that has the potential to come into us and shine out of us, and therefore what our life is supposed to look yeah. like. You know, this all comes from the first page of the Bible. Everything you're going to see from here on out is about this, yeah. a restoration of this, a redemption of us giving ourselves to things other than this. And so it all comes back to this. And so I really do think that if you don't see this meaning, if you don't see this as the beginning of the story, right. if you don't see the symbols that are put forth here, and then if you don't see the way that this spiritually connects to God and an unseen realm, you're not going to understand your life. Right. Not only are you not going to understand the rest of the story of Scripture, you're not going to understand your life. Right. And so this is the foundation. This is why we're spending so long on it. You know, this is going to be two hour-long podcasts about the first chapter. Yeah. And that's because, like, if you're going to then, you know, get to uh, First Samuel yeah. and understand what God is up to, you have to understand where we came from. Absolutely. We what get we're supposed to be. We get upset when we read the Bible, we open to, you know, the middle of the story and we don't know, but we're not remembering the fundamentals of, you know, how God laid out our image bearing. Right. You know, so so it only exactly. makes sense in the light of Genesis one. Exactly. And so um, the there were no chapters in the Bible. Yeah. And there are no verses. Yeah, this is a, a, a reference human, tool for us, really. It's a human yeah. creation, and that's okay. Yeah, uh, it's it's a good way to do it because yeah. if you want to reference something, like you have this, it's way easier than just to say somewhere in Genesis it says. And I actually don't know why this is, but the chapter break here is incorrect. It, it's yeah, right? I was reading about that not too long ago. And and so we should read Genesis two one through two one through two, and then that's where we'll stop today. Yeah. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. I think well, one you more. You do three? One more. Okay. Yeah. Then God blessed the seventh day oh, and yeah. made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Yeah. So pretty obviously belongs in the same story. Well, I have one, one thought on that. Yeah, and ahead. we talked about this, I think last time, you know, the, the Hebrew day really starts with rest in the evening mm-hmm. and then morning. Yep. And so, you know, in a way True. we've, we've have broken this into, you know, the sixth day ended. Now here's the start. He starts with rest. Yeah. And now here goes the rest of the creation story. Yeah, so go. that's my one thought there. I like that. But I like that. No, that, that, that's good. Um, and then the next, the, the creation story in, in chapter two is going to give us a different lens, a different perspective. Yeah. We're going to hear it a little bit again, but of what it means different to be perspective. A yeah. For sure. Yep. Um, and so here we have the Sabbath. And so on the, the seventh day, God Shabbats. Yeah. You know, so, so the Hebrew word is Shabbat, which means to stop and to rest. And he rests because his creation is complete and it is at the beginning of what he wants it to be. Yeah. And so um, there's perfection in the sense that now the 
creation is as it's supposed to be, and now humans are to take it and to take it somewhere. Mm-hmm. So sometimes when we say that at the end of the sixth day, everything was perfect, um, that's not actually true in the sense that we tend to think about perfection because there was something to do. Yeah. It was very good. Yeah. And the task of humans is to take it from glory to glory. Yeah, this wasn't, okay, now sit around forever. Right. But when you think about it, it's yeah. perfect. That, you tend to think like, well, we're supposed to just we be think sitting that in about a garden, the garden with God. We think that about heaven. Yeah. We think we've got no task to do, but before the fall, we've been given a task. Right. This isn't, you know, a response to the fall. This is preemptively, here's what you've got to do. Yeah. What, what would we have dominion over? Yeah. What would we be subduing? Yeah. What would we be multiplying and and be, yeah. you know, expanding. If I'm just chilling. If you're just eating apples in the garden, which just is kind of you know, like, <laughs> like if you're just like hanging out and God's there yeah. and it's fun and and you know you and your wife are there and yeah. it, like no, of course there's things to do. Yeah. In fact, it's the definition of who you are. Right. Like you know, you being an image of God, like we said, it's not just that that's what you are. You're an imager of God. Right. And so that means that you're supposed to image Him, which means that there's something you're supposed to do. Absolutely. And so the rest of the story moves from that standpoint. And, 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 and so it was not perfect in the sense that there's nothing to do. Yeah. It was perfect in the sense that this is how it's supposed to and be. And everything was doing what it was supposed and to everything do. Everything was doing what it was supposed Everybody. to do. And humans were in yeah. a position to be faithful to God and to do what he created them to do and to be what he created them to be. Awesome. I hope no one messes it up or anything. And in that sense, <laughs> it was perfect. Yeah. Uh, and so... Uh, maybe maybe we just stop there and that's yeah. the end of our podcast. And yeah, it's just seven it's episodes good. and everything's all good. <laughs> uh, but we will go on. We're gonna we're gonna get into Genesis two. Yeah, because that's gonna give us uh, so, some different angles on what it means to be a human and what it means to live in this world and what our our task is. It's gonna yeah. give us a, a a more complex picture of what it means to be an image of God. Right. Which is the reason that the authors have both of the stories in yeah, there. Yeah, now we're zooming in on humans. You kind of zoom in on humans. You zoom in on male and female. Yeah. You zoom in on marriage. Yeah. And so what we're going to see in chapter two is that marriage is a pre-fall ordinance mm-hmm. for a reason, which is really cool. Uh, but that'll be in a couple episodes. Next week, we're going to talk about the divine counsel. Yeah. Because I know that what we talked about can be kind of jarring to people. This idea that there are other divine beings that God is in concert with, yeah. that even if he's the head of them, the fact that there's other created divine beings in an unseen realm that are in some kind of counsel with him, that are speaking to him, that are helping him uh, move in this world, that's not exactly the way that us modern Western Christians tend to think about God and us. Yeah, We tend to think about there's a material world, and then there is... God. Yeah, we don't mind necessarily <laughs> thinking there's God. But what? But like you know, when we start to talk about angels and demons, it comes from from this idea, right? That there's other beings, and so I think we should take like a full episode to yeah. dive into that to talk about the divine unseen realm and the way that that kind of interacts with uh, God and humans uh, throughout the rest of the scriptures. Right. Why we think that's a reasonable view to take in terms of both. The, what the scriptures tell us and our experience in this world, yeah. because I'm going to argue that we all are actually somewhat in touch with the spiritual realm more than we think that we are. Okay. Um, uh, but also, if you think that all the other gods are actually not real, yeah, then most of the story of the, the Bible is not going to make any sense. Right. Right. Like, like what were people worshiping? Yeah. 
what were they being led astray by? Right. What was Jesus casting out of people? Right. What is what is that? Right. Yeah. And so uh, and so we're going to talk about that. Genesis chapter six. There's a very strange story about something called the Nephilim, mm-hmm. which is where the sons of God come into the the daughters of men and create some kind of being that starts to do evil in the world. And right. so it's like, what the heck is that? Right. And most of the time we try to explain that away, but but when we see it from this realm, from this view, it actually makes sense. Yeah. And then that becomes very important for the rest of the story, and it becomes very important for what Jesus yeah. is doing. And, and we're, we're here to not ignore stuff like that. Yeah, we're not going to ignore that stuff. We got to we got to talk about so it. So we're we're we have to set the framework because if we choose to ignore this, we're going to have to ignore a lot of sections of scripture exactly. from here on out. So we're going to talk. We're going to talk about that next time. Now, actually, my experience with this is that people like talking about that. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe that'll be our most viewed episode. Maybe this was in, stuff I wanted to talk about in Sunday school, and yeah, you know, yeah, my yeah. poor Sunday school teachers were like, "Please, no, oh, please I just stop asking about we're the just going to talk about Jackie. Jonah, please." <laughs> <laughs> Don't if you ask me one more time about the demoniac. And, yeah, and, I was that uh, annoying kid. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so we'll uh, we'll we'll get into that to that next time, and uh, because it's interesting, maybe instead of our typical you know, 5 million views. We'll have like <laughs> 20 million views on this one. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. Can't wait. All right. Well, uh, that, that wraps us for today. Thank you guys for joining us and we will see you next week. Love you. See you guys. Mm-hmm.